If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. So, Corey, I've been thinking a lot lately about funerals. Mm -hmm. Because I've been to a number of funerals over the last few years, and I'm noticing some trends in how funerals are sort of put together and constructed. Right. And, you know, these were always things that were out there, but I think they've crept more and more into the Christian world. And I'm struck by how different they seem to me than traditional or orthodox funeral practices. Right. Okay. Right. So one of the things in particular is what is done with the body. Mm -hmm. So more and more and more when I go to these funerals, I don't see a person being buried. Right. Right. Nor do I see the cremains being, I don't know, deposited or laid to rest in a, say, consecrated location in a, in a cemetery or, or in a chaborium, which is kind of like a mausoleum for cremains or like that. More and more what I see is the person passes away, the hospital people, the deaf people come and they take the person away after that. They're cremated. Sometimes there is a, a memorial service or a funeral or something where there is a visitation with a body. But increasingly what I see is people just go away when they die. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's been a home hospice situation. Maybe people have said their goodbyes and then they pass. And then a vehicle comes with a gurney and they load the deceased onto the gurney and they're taken away. And a number of weeks later, the family receives the cremains. And then there's often some sort of a celebration of life ceremony thing where people gather and they, they talk, they share, maybe they show like a PowerPoint slideshow or something of the person's life. And then mm. their cremains are scattered at a favorite vacation spot or something like that. And, and this is seen as a way to sort of pay tribute to the person's life. Yeah. Or, or in other cases, the cremains are simply kept in someone's home, sometimes in a place of honor or sometimes sort of just, I don't know what to do with this. Right. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm being, I'm, I'm speaking kind of slowly here and hesitantly because I, I don't want to insult anyone. I'm, right. I'm, I'm hyper conscious to anyone who's listening to this. I'm extremely conscious and extremely sensitive to the fact that this may be how uh, you celebrated uh, the life of your loved one. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to criticize in any way, shape or form anybody. Right. The point is not to, to browbeat anyone or to, you know, uh, insult, as you said. No, I, I, but I am thinking about it a lot lately and thinking about how different it seems from how Christianity for several thousand years treated the dead and treated the ceremonies surrounding death and what we do with 
people when they die. Well, frankly, it's also different from pre-Christian cultures or or other cultures, non-Christian that have, you know, existed in parallel with Christianity too. So it's kind of uh, a modern way of approaching death and the dead body that's distinct from both. Right. Obviously, like, uh, so you look around the cultures of the world and there are so many different sort of funeral practices or practices with, you know, what we do when people die all the way from building a pyramid over them and right in ancient Egypt and, and closing them in there with chariots and cats. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that they can have cats in the afterlife. I mean, personally, I can think of nothing I would least like than to be no put, cats in Greg Smith's pyramid. No, no yes. but actually, what I what I kind of I've often thought is uh, what attracts me is a Viking funeral. Sure. So what you'd have is you'd have like a long ship, and I'm laid into the long ship with with all of the weapons of my enemies at my feet, and then it's uh, set a, a ablaze and pushed out into the fjord while somebody in a in a helmet sings a song or something like that, you know, I think that would be kind of cool, but right. But whether it's the Vikings or the Egyptians or the Romans or, you know, the ancient Chinese or whoever, there were always these practices surrounding what we do when people die and particularly what we do with them when they die. Mm -hmm. And as you say, there is a sort of discordance or dissonance, a better word, a sort of dissonance between and this isn't a particularly Catholic thing, at, at least at this point in the conversation, but it's a, it's a radical difference in the, what, the latter part of the 20th century, the last 50, 60 years, towards how modern people treat death and the dead than pretty much how they've been treated throughout history and throughout the world in multiple religions and cultures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and if we want to talk about it, we could certainly um, elucidate some distinctions between those different cultures and certainly between Christianity and non-Christian cultures. Um, but they also have, I think, a greater commonality, a more, more similarity to each other than they do to this contemporary model um, that you're discussing. So let's unpack that a little mm-hmm. bit. We're, we're going to get to the Catholic part of this episode, I promise you. But before we get to the Catholic part, let's just talk about the traditional part. And again, traditional meaning throughout history and cultures and religions. And that is, is there was a preservation of the body in some way, shape or form. Now, not always, sometimes they're, they're, uh, you know, they burned the body, but even, even so, or the Viking funeral, I guess it went down. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's not universal, but often people were entombed um, buried, entombed in various kinds of ways, because there was a there was a notion that there was a value to the body. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and this goes back to the the very beginnings of mankind. Um, sort of when you're looking back at archaeology, um, the fact that human beings were treating their dead in some distinctive way that animals don't is one of the earliest markers that we are dealing with human beings. Right. Well, okay. So, so traditionally there was a high value attached to, frankly, the body of the deceased and treating it with particular honor and a sort of permanence. You know, not everyone's going to be an Egyptian pharaoh and get a pyramid built over mm-hmm. them, but even for ordinary Egyptians, they were entombed or buried or whatever in various mm-hmm. ways and so on and so forth. Yeah. And you see some variety in terms of what the beliefs of those cultures were about what happened when you die. I mean, Egypt had a very robust view of there is an afterlife. You're going to need your body and you're going to need your stuff in that. And so that led to that development of those very complex and very physical um, funerary uh, customs. But even like the example you gave with the Vikings, like they were 
lit on fire, yes, but with their stuff, stuff that they would need if you're a warrior, like your swords and your armor and stuff. My, you're gonna f- need, my favorite mead right, cup to take to Valhalla. Right, that you're going to need in Valhalla and you're going to need when <laughs> Ragnarok comes. You're going to have to fight again. <laughs> the stupid monsters um, and yeah. And, and I mean, like the, the Greeks um, had, a, again, a different view of the afterlife. Um, they they did think that the human being survived. They didn't have a, a concept of resurrection, even like the Egyptians did and certainly not like Christians do, but, but they still thought you were going to survive. And, you know, if you were their, someone's father or mother or something like that, they, they felt that they had an, a duty to, to honor you and to see you off into that afterlife, even if it wasn't necessarily going to be a great fun afterlife, at, at least uh, to show their respect and to, to see you off into that. Right. But I want to drill down particularly in this notion that the body had worth because mm-hmm. I think what people would say when, when they say, well, we had a celebration of life ceremony and, and then, uh, you know, we watched a PowerPoint and then we scattered Bob at his favorite fishing spot or whatever that, that it wasn't since we were sending him off to the great fishing hole in the sky or whatever. Mm. But what I'm really drilling down on is this notion that when you die, there's no value to your body afterwards. You no longer need it. And I think this is a critical shift. And so he says it's a critical shift in Western civilization Mm -hmm. from believing that the body had inherent value, right? So even when people were were, uh, cremated or whatever, their remains were preserved. But this notion that they were simply scattered, that once we're done with the body, we no longer need it and that we've been released from the material and bodily world is a radical shift, I think, within Western civilization from the notion that, that we are bodily creatures and, and we have inherent value. So, so when you think about that, you, you think about the funerary practices of the early Christians. And they inherited some things. Now, granted, the early Christians were, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a misnomer just to talk about the ones in Rome, because of course, after Pentecost, the apostles scattered to the, mm-hmm. you know, the four corners of the world. Right. The first Christians were Jews, but then they converted Greeks and within people well, living in North Africa and Romans. And sure. I mean, yeah, Pentecost within 50, within 50 days, mm-hmm. we were speaking to all the cultures of the world, right? And mm-hmm. the apostles went everywhere. And, but wherever they, they went, largely they were coming into cultures where where there was often a preservation of the body and the early christians sort of transformed that a little mm-hmm. bit they 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 gave it new meaning and that's what i kind of want to drill down on because where i'm kind of going with this whole episode is that i think we in our sort of contemporary funeral practices or and they're not even really funeral practices just sort of whatever they are celebration of life death transition passage things. I think we've lost something that I think is essential to Christianity. Mm -hmm. So let's go just for an easy example. Let's go to Rome. I've been into some of the catacombs under Rome in particular of particular interest are the catacombs or the necropolis that's underneath St. Peter's Basilica. Mm -hmm. So St. Peter was put to death in a Roman stadium that sits approximately where St. Peter's Square is now, sort mm-hmm. of transverse to that, but more or less in what is the square or, you know, it's actually not a square, but you know, the yeah, ground. Yeah. The courtyard. Yeah, yeah, the courtyard. The piazza is, you know, the Italian word for it, right? <laughs> yes. And so uh, in the piazza there, and after his death, he was taken down and the early Christians, his followers, 
asked for the body, the Roman centurions or whatever gave him the body, and they went more or less across the street to what was essentially a public cemetery, and they entombed him there. Mm-hmm. Then subsequently, several hundred years later, a basilica was built over that. So the basilica is built not over the stadium where he died, which is in the piazza. It's built over the cemetery where he was laid to rest about 100 or 200 yards you know, to one side, mm-hmm. or 300 yards or whatever it is. Now, two times in my life, I've gotten to go down into that necropolis. There's a particular tour that you can take. And you see, because it was a Roman, um, a secular Roman cemetery that he was laid in, under there where they've excavated those, there were all of these little, I don't know, they look kind of like little sheds, like the size of a garden shed or maybe Mm -hmm. a little bigger than a garden shed. But there were these little kind of huts or houses, little stone things. It was a necropolis, little city of the dead. And people, like there were tombs. And so people's, they were family tombs. So you would lay grandpa in there and grandma and, you know, your parents and whatever. And the ancestors, they would all be put in there. And then families would go out and there was graffiti on the sides. And when you take the tour, you can see the graffiti. Because by the way, Romans, ancient Romans loved Mm -hmm. graffiti. There was graffiti all over everything. In fact, when people go to Rome today, they go, there's all this graffiti everywhere. I don't like it. I wish, (laughs) I wish I could see Rome like it used to be. You go, this is what it was. There's always graffiti. And there's all this graffiti over there. And basically people would go down and they they would take uh, flowers, they would take a picnic, they would take offerings, they would go down and they would spend time with their, their ancestors, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Peter is laid into one of these and there's a scratched on the tomb because of graffiti, Peter is here. And you can go and you can see that if you get to take that tour and Peter's a long, long story, but they've excavated it and mm-hmm. they believe the bones of Peter are actually in there. And it sits directly beneath uh, St. Peter's Basilica, actually directly beneath the altar. Uh, the, the main altar in St. Peter's. Now, what that showed is the Romans at that time had this notion of entombing the dead and coming in and value. Fast forward after Peter, Christians start dying, right? Because, yeah. well, whether it was persecution or just for ordinary reasons. And what happens is they start getting placed into the catacombs throughout Rome. And there are multiple catacombs around Rome. If you've ever been on a, you know, uh, pilgrimage or tour to Rome, you've probably maybe hopefully gone to the, the catacombs of Priscilla or the catacombs of whatever, the various catacombs under there. And you go in there and literally hundreds of thousands. I mean, you'll go in and there's 30,000 or 40,000 and you wander through these passages and there's like niches um, in the wall and people would be placed in the niches. And there's of course graffiti mm-hmm. because what would happen is you would go, oh, um, grandma is down in the catacombs. You take the third passage to the left, go down there, make a sharp right, and she's the fourth niche up, you know, there. And then they'd scratch her name or whatever. And people would go down there and they would pray and they would visit their dead relatives or friends or whatever, Mm -hmm. say a prayer, do a mass, do this, leave flowers, leave things like that. And so from a very early time, the Christians had this notion of preserving the dead. Mm -hmm. Now, question, let me throw this back to you because I'm doing much talk. Why did they do that? Well, they did it, as you said before, they, they built on this sort of um, Roman or pagan, or you might say natural human urge to preserve the dead and to honor the dead. Um, but they transformed it with their conviction, with their belief in the resurrection of the dead. The fact that Christ, first of all, rose from the dead and that in him um, and by his power, all people will rise from the dead. And so they honored the body and they prayed for the person because they believed that the person 
continue to exist um, and that that person would rise from the dead one day. And the preservation of the body and of the site of the burial was a, was a sign of that. It, it kept alive in their minds the fact that this person would, would rise again. But then, you know, they believe and Christians still believe that that actual body is going to rise. Um, and so that's a powerful reason to not discard it right. carelessly. Right. I mean, as you say, first of all, let's like establish that God will be able to resurrect the dead, whatever happens. So <laughs> right, if, right. if somebody burns in a fire, the ship sinks in the middle of the ocean or w- right. whatever. It's not to say that if we didn't preserve the body with right. honors that God couldn't. But what it was, it was a sign of Christian hope. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think the thing that, that strikes me is it was a sign of, it was a visible, tangible sign of Christian hope that we trust and hope in the resurrection and we preserve them. You know, it's interesting when you go into the New Testament Often the phrase that's used in the New Testament is not in the letters of Paul and others. It's not that so-and-so died. It's that they have fallen asleep. Mm-hmm. They've fallen asleep. And, and it talks about, you know, someday sleeper awake because the sleepers, those who have fallen asleep in the Lord will, will rise again. And so mm-hmm. when you did a, a funeral or a burial, you were making a visible, tangible expression, uh, a sign really, uh, in the full sense of the word, in our hope in the resurrection and that death is a temporary interruption until Christ returns and remakes heaven and earth and, and we rise with him. Right. And and that metaphor of sleep, and I think it is a, is a metaphor, is a useful one because, of course, sleep is a temporary state. Um, a person who sleeps is going to wake up. All metaphors have limits on them. We Christians then and, and now don't believe that the person is unconscious. Whatever they, however they've been judged, we believe that their, their soul is awake, you would say, and conscious. But It's an accurate image and metaphor for what the state of their body is, that their body is is dormant, is, is not active and conscious and, and that it will return when their, when their soul returns with yeah, resurrection. Absolutely. And just to be completely clear, Corey, the position of the Catholic church, the position of Orthodox Christianity, my position, Corey's position is that death is a real thing that nobody has really fallen asleep, but I'm not, I didn't invent that language. That's in the New right, Testament. Right. St. Paul, Paul uses that. That's right. used historically. Um, it, as you say, it is a metaphor and, and really, and I like the way you put it is it expresses a dormancy, right? Mm-hmm. And a couple of episodes ago, we talked about death and we were talking about how in death, it's this sort of temporary separation of the soul from, from a body and that really a human person is the fusion of, a, you know, the total mm-hmm. fusion of a soul and a body. So when we die, a human soul goes to be with the Lord or to purgatory or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the body, in a sense, is dormant at rest until they are reunited and become a human, fully human person again, because you can't be a person you can't, with a disembodied soul. Right. Yeah, there, that image conveys the fact that there's there's something here that's both impermanent, but also like not really right at this time. Like a, a, a human being is not meant to be asleep all the time. There'd be something right. wrong. Like a, a, a sleeper is meant to awake right. and a dead body is meant to arise right. and will arise. And that's the Christian hope. And that, that hope, that hope of the resurrection, I think that's what I'm missing. So 
I went to seminary, of course, and when I grad, you know, when I lived, I learned how to do funerals. And I'll never forget doing my first funeral. I was actually a seminarian. And of course, I was in a denomination where I was allowed to do that. It wasn't obviously Catholic. Right, right. Uh, but I was allowed to perform a funeral service because the, the funeral wasn't a sacrament. We couldn't perform sacraments, right? As a seminarian, I couldn't baptize or serve the Lord's Supper, but I could officiate at a funeral. Which was probably, I mean, well, I don't know if it was a Eucharistic service in, in no. the Calvinist. No, no, it's schema, not Eucharistic. But- it's, it's just, you're officiating at a, at a funeral. You're mm-hmm. like, you could officiate at a wedding theoretically. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, in my case, it was uh, just as an aside, it was, uh, I was a senior in seminary and I was doing an internship in a, in a church that did not have a pastor at the time. You know, I got an assignment as a seminarian to sort of fill in for the year until mm-hmm. they got a permanent pastor. And I got a phone call one day, woman, she said her son, 16, 17 year old boy had been tragically killed in a car accident. It was a very, very tragic, terrible, horrible thing. I don't want to get all the details, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was a very, very tragic family situation. And, you know, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. So I called my professor and I go, I'm supposed to this Friday sort of officiate at this kid's funeral. I don't don't know what I'm doing. And he said, well, make sure you just proclaim the gospel and proclaim the hope of the gospel. I was like, okay. You know, so I did, you know, there were some forms, you know, say this, pray this, whatever. But then there was kind of a little, you know, homily or sermon. And I put together this whole thing about, you know, first Corinthians 15 and, you know, death has no victory in the last thing and the hope of the resurrection. And, you know, you kind of preached that first Corinthians 15 hope of the resurrection kind of thing. Um, if Christ is not raised, then our faith is, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I did that, you know, and there were a lot of, because of this family situation, there were a lot of non-Christians at the event. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, uh, for the first time in my life, I got into the, you know, the hearse with the you know, funeral people. And we drove out to the graveyard and I will never forget. It was like a February day, super, super cold. And I got out there and you stood there and they, you know, did the thing where they, you know, and we, we did the graveside Mm -hmm. ceremony and you said some other prayers. And then we got in the cars and we drove away, but there was a sense, even from that first one that I did. And of course I've been done many others since then and have been to innumerable things, but there was always that sense of a Christian funeral, even a Protestant one in which the hope of the resurrection and going out to the, to the graveside and the committal of the body and the committal of the body with prayers that we shall see this person again, the hope of the resurrection, we commit their body uh, in a sense to the grave, to the earth, you know, from ashes we came to ashes we return, but we have the hope that, that we will rise again. All of that was this tremendous expression of hope and confidence in the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I think what I've seen more and more and more, and I think it's always been there, but I see it more and more creeping into quote unquote Christian circles, which is that all that hope is sort of stripped out. You know, there is a celebration of the person's life and there's no funeral. There's no committal of the body in the sense of committing them to the earth and the hope of the resurrection. There's simply, what can we do to this person? You and I were talking about this before we recorded and you put it in a, how'd you put it that this is the last ultimate act of self-expression? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it does seem, especially with those uh, ceremonials that you're talking about where it's like spreading their ashes on the beach or, or you know, some place that was 
special to them uh, during life or the fact that it's a, it's a party um, that is about them and everybody gets up and, and talks about them. Um, it, it does seem like self-expression and sort of self-realization, um, which a lot of things in our culture have become about that. So even if you're not th- alive anymore, it's like your last act is to be like, I did it my way and here's, you know, here's the, here's the evidence. And I'm going to, the last sign is going to be sort of me centric. Right. Right. I mean, I really liked paragliding, you know, in Cancun. And so what I want to do is have my friends paraglide and scatter me over the bay in some yeah, testament to what I was all about. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and to bring it back to what you were talking about with Christian hope is that I, I think there's a lot of vagueness um, and sort of lack of definition in a lot of people's belief about death and and not just people who are not religious, but a lot of popular Christianity too. Um, and so the first thing to go, I think, in that is that hope of the resurrection. And so the funeral or other customs around around the death and burial become not about um the fact that this person has you know gone to meet their maker and will one day uh return and be resurrected if there's a supernatural element there it's they're in a better place or they're in heaven or whatever you want to call it or you know they loved paragliding in this life they're they're paragliding forever right. now in 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 the sky or something um a re- it, it, a very vague and undefined kind of well, they're in a better place is is often the uh, the phrase that's used. Or you can go all the way sort of down the continuum here of a vague understanding to a more materialist conception, where it's like, well, they're gone, but their life was great, and we all enjoyed having them around, and and so it's more focused on uh, the memory of them. Right. Well, one of the things I saw the other day, actually I've seen a couple of times in the news recently, but there was a, a story yesterday on, you know, some news site and they were talking about the popularity growing in the, in the United Kingdom, UK, of what they're going to do is compost bodies. Oh yeah. I've heard of right? that in the US so, too. Yeah. You know, so yeah, there's some states in the US. So basically, you know, I want to make sure that I kind of return to the plants and, you know, contribute to the green right. world. And so they have these, I guess, kind of like coffins with holes in the side or something. So you put the person in there and it's like a biodegradable thing and you're just going to biodegrade and become fertilizer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, I, I love plants and trees well, as right. much it's as It's nothing anybody. against the plants or trees. And, right. and, and I mean, the, the, the most... Uh, common uh, way of interring a body in Christian history has been burial. And of course right. you can do that in a, in an ecologically friendly way. You could even plant a tree next to it. Like the, right. that's not right. inherently bad, right? but it's, it's the sort of sign against um, the uh, continued existence of the person. Well, well, it's, it. it's, it's yeah. a statement that is so much to say as they sort of have either ceased to exist or have sort of faded right. into the rest of right. the world. Of the, right. It's materialism. Of kind. Th- throughout most, most of yeah. history, you would have been placed in a shroud and buried, mm-hmm. in which case you would decompose, right? And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, over however many weeks or months or years or whatever. So you're going to return to the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's actually what we say, right. you know, at a graveside ceremony. So it's not so much that, but this is a statement. This is a statement that, that you have no internal, that no, inher- your body has no inherent value beyond let's compost you. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. so much that, like I said, bodies in the past didn't compost. This is a statement right. that your value is as compost. And it's a devaluing of the human body. And I think that's the thing that strikes me. And this is, I think, a great point to pivot. I think I want to pivot this conversation. And I think what we'll do is 
kind of stop the recorder and and pivot this to a second episode because what strikes me in particular is this devaluation of the human body. Right, right. Is part of a larger devaluation of the gospel and a devaluation of the Christian worldview and Christian doctrine. It's it's a sort of a de-Christianization of what we are because let's pivot on this and we'll come back and talk about how the human body has inherent value in Christianity and in Catholicism in particular, and how that, that has implications for everything from food to families to sex. So mm-hmm. stick around for part two, where we talk about funerals, food, families, and sex. All the good stuff. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its Saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.